Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, December 20th, 2021. And on today's episode, we're going to discuss Spider-Man No Way Home's record-breaking box office. And more importantly, we're going to try to get to the bottom of, you know, why did it make these numbers? What does this mean? This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film News Writer Ryan Scott. Hey, everyone. Uh, uh, glad to be back two weeks in a row, I guess. Yeah, lots of people liked hearing you last week on the podcast. We, we got a lot of feedback. Uh, we even got some reviews. So uh, pe- people like you, Ryan. Well, that at, is... At, at, at least a few. At least like a handful of people. <laughs> I think I, I think I joked with you earlier in the week that I had two fans and I was impressed by that. So, uh, But no, really, that was that was really nice to hear. And I love talking about this stuff. And it was nice to, it was nice to hear that people didn't, uh, didn't mind me rambling about it. So... Yeah, when I had you on last week, I think we were talking about Spider-Man No Way Home, and we were speculating about how much it could do at the box office. Oh, what a difference a week makes. Uh, We, I think I asked you the question, I think my phrasing was, Ryan, do you really think this is going to make over $100 million on opening weekend? None of the other, you know... MCU Spider-Man movies have done that, uh, <laughs> and and yeah. you weren't even ready to commit to the hundred. You were like, I think it will, but you weren't like, oh, for sure. Well, let me be clear. I was, I was sort of, I was hesitating in the sense <laughs> that, like, because I was, I think I ended on, I was confident it would go over a hundred million. But my thing is, I had suspected deep in my gut that it was going to go a lot over that, but I didn't want to sound ridiculous in hindsight and now now truth be told now what i thought what you i thought, should have you should have been babe ruth and you should have pointed the finger to I, the outfield well to that end though I, I my thought my crazy thought was that it might do like 170 and yeah. it did 260 so even my insane guess wouldn't have been anywhere near that I don't remember what we said at the time was the projection i think it might have been like 120 it just kept going up because the yeah. the thing was is like it uh, 
heading into the weekend, I had written a thing up that Variety had projected around 150, but then the folks at Box Office Pro had it between like 190 and 240. And that was when I started thinking like, oh my God, is it really going to, is it really going to go <laughs> off? And then, I mean, it just was, it did the kind of thing that I just didn't think any, any movie could do anymore, which is yeah pretty amazing. Um, any more, or especially in a time when we're still worrying about this virus spreading. <laughs> well, right. Uh, and, or, and, and we, we're worrying more than we have been in months. So, I mean, especially yeah. if you look at like on a global scale, it's, pretty amazing that that this kind of uh, i don't know that that just didn't seem to to hinder anything um okay we, we, we've been kind of walking around this some people listening probably don't even know how much spider-man no way home made yeah. so why, why don't you walk us through this weekend's box office yeah so um i'll just go over it as quick as i can without being boring here uh spider-man no way home domestically opened to 260 million dollars Domestically. Domestic. By the way, when I when I tweeted that out, someone was like, "That's the worldwide number, right?" <laughs> they, they, they asked that as like a serious question. So it, yeah, it's shocking. No, it is downright shocking. But yeah, so two hundred and sixty million dollars. Uh, Doctor Evil voice. Um. Uh. On opening weekend, uh, and that's just domestic. Uh, looking worldwide, it uh it did five ninety four point two. Uh, which is uh, the third best global opening of all time, but the second best domestic opening of all time. Uh, the only one that ever did better was Avengers Endgame, which made 357 back in 2019. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's 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 in the record books, pandemic or no pandemic, it's one of the biggest things that has ever happened in the history of theatrically released movies. In that other film, that international film, I think it's like a film that was released in China this year that we have not yet seen. Uh, oh, you're talking about, uh, so worldwide, yeah, so there was the Battle of Lake, oh, I forget the name, but yeah, there's a, there's a Chinese movie, so if we look worldwide this year, um, the Battle of Lake Changjin has made $900 million, but that was in China alone. Yeah. Now, that's another that's conversation worth having in that China has the top two grossing movies at the box office this year, with number two being High Mom, which made $822 million. Um, so China is quickly overtaking us as the biggest movie going market in the world. And again, that is another conversation to have, but yeah. Yeah. We probably won't have that conversation today because we got a, a, a lot to talk about. So totally. Okay. Before we get to the other movies on, uh, this, not, not that like, uh, those other movies really add up to much. Uh, we can get to that a little bit later, but this was just shocking to me that it made this much money at the box office I, I i mean i get it like i follow the trends i you know i i live in film twitter i saw how i saw the buzz and i saw how many how much people were excited to see this movie but you know like we said we we, we had no expectations of it ever reaching over 200 million never mind you know 260 million yeah, well, yeah, th that's that's just an. I mean, again, when you look at <laughs> only one other movie has ever exceeded that number, you know, that's pretty. Yeah. And that and that well, movie being Avengers Endgame, which had the benefit of essentially being the season finale of a decade's worth of movies, you know, that's a big deal. I mean, theoretically, you could say that about this as well. Or yeah, without getting too much movies. into spoilers, yeah. but yeah, this was this was very much. 
when you look at Spider-Man as essentially, you know, for as much as Batman, Superman, who have you has a global footprint, Spider-Man is still the most globally recognized superhero. And, you know, in some ways, if you look at what superhero movies have been able to do, pandemic or no pandemic, it makes sense if you do Spider-Man Endgame, you know, that that movie is the one that sort of does the deal. Yeah. But I think the highest movie Spider-Man's had until now was like a $150 million opening. Yeah, and that was was Spider-Man 3 of all movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, that was the the culmination of that trilogy, so... (laughs) Yeah, everybody wanted to see Venom. It was the culmination. So what I wanted to talk to you about, Ryan, is like, why do you think this happened? What what, what factors added up to make this the, the record-breaking success that it ended up being? Um, I mean, I think it's, it's a lot of things. I think, you know, what happens often, more often than not, I think, with a lot of times is like the cream rises, right? So, like, Eternals was met with mixed reviews, and it sort of did mixed box office, you know, like, relative to a superhero movie. Spider-Man No Way Home, I think, has, like, a 97% critical rating, and last I checked, a 100% audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes. You know what I mean? You know, so you're looking, I mean, it was just, it just, it was highly anticipated. You had uh, the most recognizable superhero on the planet with villains from previous iterations of the franchise with Doctor Strange. You know, I mean, it, it, uh, and audiences are smart now, you know? So I think the thing is when they saw, okay, we're opening up villains from previous iterations of the franchise. Actually, let's, um, let's give a spoiler on it right now. So if you, uh, for the rest of this conversation, we're, we're going to discuss, uh, spoilers for Spider-Man No Way Home. So if you have not seen that film, you might want to tune out now and come back after you've seen it. Although it seems like, you know, according to my numbers, like 28 million people <laughs> saw it. So. Something like that, that. That's just in the U.S. alone. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, yeah, this this is where I, I, I was kind of going to because I was looking at... So earlier I was reading this article on Vulture, which had... It's titled An Exhaustive List of Everyone Who Lied About Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, it's basically the cast being asked by press about, you know, people that have not been announced to be in the movie if they were in the movie. And I think the number one offender here, without a doubt, is Andrew Garfield, who, you know, in his defense, he's out promoting another movie that he has that's on Netflix. So he's not, uh, you know, there's some people that appear in this movie that... (laughs) You know, uh, Tobey Maguire appears in this movie, and he's not out doing press. So no, thus, he's not. he's not being asked and not being put into the spot of having to lie. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he signed an NDA that told him that he had to lie if he was asked. So he, he lied. It, it, fair enough. I, I'm not going to blame him. But I was reading this article, and I was going through, and not only in this article did they have all the lies but they had embedded every single interview yep. you could watch like Andrew Garfield by the way if I was if I was his girlfriend I know he's a great actor like acting is lying <laughs> but if I was his girlfriend after seeing this I would be like I don't know if I could believe anything you say uh, although although I will say as a man who who is on the news desk every day and watched a lot of those interviews and obsessed over this stuff every time he said no you could see something behind his eyes that was like, but also yes. <laughs> like, like you knew, like, the, I think there was a reason that so many of us, every time he said no, 
But also, like I said, audiences are smart. Like, the, the, the movie very clearly paved the way for, like, look, man, if you're bringing the villains back, like, nobody's that dumb. You know what I mean? Like, everyone's like, look, if you're bringing the villains back, you know we're bringing Spider-Man back, like, from those respective universes but you don't reveal that in the trailer because uh, peter did you get to see it in a theater did you do the yeah i saw it in the theater yeah right i don't know how your experience was but like mine i I was at an alamo draft house generally very respectable rules in a draft house when the moment happens about two-thirds of the way through the movie when you get the various spider-mans the reaction from that crowd because everyone knew but we didn't know you know it's incredible it's like that's what you want so, yes, of course, Andrew Garfield lied, because I think his ex- he was probably very excited to be back, <laughs> and he wanted people to have that moment. You know, I respect that. I respect that he just dug his feet in and said, I'm lying to everyone about this, and this is how I'm handling it. Okay. Well, here's the moment we're going to step into uh, Peter Serretta's conspiracy theory corner. <laughs> um, I, I think that this was orchestrated, and by that I mean... I watched this this interview with Andrew Garfield on Jimmy Kimmel, and yep. I, I'm not sure if you know how these interviews on these late night talk shows work, especially Jimmy Kimmel, who you know is uh, <laughs> uh, it, 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 like, you know, they plan out the interview. It's pre-interviews. In it's yeah. It's all it's all planned out. They went minutes talking about if Andrew Garfield isn't Spider-Man and him, like, you know, talking his, lying his way around it and stuff like that. And there's no way, like, if they brought that up in a pre-interview and he didn't want to talk about it or that Sony didn't want him to talk about it, that they would be like, okay, you you know, you can't talk about Spider-Man. Right. Right. Like, they, they would say that. Like, and these shows, these kind of shows, actually a bunch of these that are on this list, like... You know, Entertainment Tonight or, you know, uh, Access Hollywood. Those shows regularly will, you know, not touch those things. Like they're told, you know, don't ask about this person's private life or don't, you know, whatever. Uh, It's um, a courtesy. Here's my theory. Um, Here's Can I build on that a little bit? Wait, before you build on that, my theory is like, I don't think, because I saw a lot of people online being like, wouldn't it have been great? to have seen this movie and not have known that there were going to be other Spider-Men in the movie and then the reveal happened in the movie and there was no leaks and there was no, you know, people talking about it. I don't think that movie would have done $260 million. I think Sony was putting it out there. I'm not saying that they leaked it. I'm not saying, but I think the genius of what got this to $260 million is partially all centered around us all knowing the spoiler that we didn't want spoiled. A hundred percent. And that's what I talked about with audiences being smart. So like you have Andrew Garfield out there promoting tick, tick, boom. Now here's my, I'll build on that. I'll agree. And I'll say that like, this was probably orchestrated on some level, but I think like if Andrew Garfield really hadn't wanted to talk about it, like in these pre-interviews, he could have just said, I don't want to talk about it, but here's the difference because he actually was in the movie. I think he's super excited about it. And I think, like, he wanted to preserve that. So I actually think he was okay, like, bullshitting everyone. I think he was having a blast with it because he is in the movie. Because he does get to have his moment now. He does get to have his victory lap. So he now gets to look back and be like, I said no, I said no, but guess what, guys, I'm in it. So I feel like he was actually having a blast. Like, that's oh, my I, theory. 
oh, you watch any of these interviews, it seems like he's having a blast, like talking about how that photo is photoshopped, right. and it, it, he's just having so much fun right. with it. And because he finally, you know, the thing I've said about Andrew Garfield a lot, I mean, he's a phenomenal actor. Uh, he was a great Spider-Man and a terrible Peter Parker by no fault of his own. And um, I, uh, I like this Peter Parker, but he was way too cool. Like the... I, this is all the conversation. Way too cool to be Peter Parker. You can't be that cool and be Peter Parker. You can't be like the cool skater punk Peter Parker. But he's amazing <laughs> in the suit. And you know, like, but anyway, so he finally gets to be in a good movie and get his shot. You know, so that's like a ton of fun for him. Good for him. Okay, so uh, the the other point of this uh, Peter's conspiracy corner, I think. I think, you know, that had to do to deal with a lot of it, that everybody knew the spoiler that they were trying to avoid. But I think on the other hand, I think people ran to the theater this weekend because they were afraid. They were fearful that if they did not see it on opening night or opening weekend, that they would turn on Twitter and someone would spoil the big surprise for them. So it was almost like you had to go to the theater. Uh, you know, it used to be back in the day. You know, uh, when, you know, like Avatar came out, you went to the theater because you had to be part of the conversation. But now I feel like with this movie, you had to be in the theater or else you risked being spoiled, which to me isn't a big deal. I don't care about spoilers. We've talked about this in, uh, a lot on the show. But I think to a lot of people, that spoiler phobia has become like a, a really big thing. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I'm yeah. like that. I like to... I think one of the things, you know, I've been doing this professionally for about seven years now, and I am enormous about preserving stuff for myself. Like, I like to still have those surprises in those moments, and it is tough. I've got to really go out of my way to do it. Um, you know, so, like, uh, yeah, like, I, I'm one of those people. I like having those moments, and, you know, there is a thing attached to the end of this movie, uh, not the mid credit scene, but the thing attached to the end of the movie that got me more hyped than arguably the movie itself, you know, cause I was so <laughs> pumped about a particular Marvel movie we're getting next year that we finally got a glimpse out of, you know, that, uh, so yeah, like I like having those moments and I'm, I'm, I am, uh, I am a fellow popcorn eating rube along with all of my friends that were there that weekend. So, you know, yeah. And I do think in the non conspiracy corner, I think people have just been waiting. It's been, what a year and a half they've been waiting for the big event movie to to be able to go back to the theater and all like you know experience the story together on the big screen yeah. and i feel like this was like that and, and the and to be fair the closest thing we had to that was fast and furious 9 as much as anyone wants to laugh about it and that movie made a shit ton <laughs> of money you know yeah. like like it, you know all due respect to black widow i think that that movie was still too late i think that black widow should have gotten her solo movie before I think the movie that we got ultimately didn't meet what a lot of people were hoping it was going to do. Shang-Chi was a brand new property. I think that movie did very well, all things considered, but that wasn't the event. Eternals, based on a very obscure property, a bit of a mixed result, that wasn't the big event. So yeah, this was the big event we've all been waiting for. It's yeah, kind of and, that simple, I think. Um, and, and you talked about being in the theater for that, uh, the reveals of this movie. It was like nothing I've experienced before. I, I mean, I guess the closest thing it could be is like Avengers Endgame. Like it was, that, a, but uh, it was about that level. There were a couple things that happened in this movie that were like, 
like one of the one of the simple ones, but like it really <laughs> like when I mean again, not spoiling, but like Matt Murdock does show up for a yeah. minute. Now, very specifically, Matt Murdock, not Daredevil, but but the, when the brick comes through that but, window. By, by the way, Char- Charlie Cox was on that list of uh, actors oh, yeah. who told lies. Someone asked him if Daredevil's going to be in the movie, and he was like, "As far as I know, Daredevil's not in the movie." But and technically, he wasn't. I was going to say technically that's not a lie because Matt Murdock is in the movie. Daredevil's not in the movie. Yeah, no, I, I I love when when you can lie without or like not technically lie. You're like technically telling the truth, but it's yeah. Yeah. Um, but when he catches but, yeah. that brick coming through the window, <laughs> the reaction from people in the theater was was just absolutely like just just people went nuts because they're like, all right, cool. The the thing we loved most about that Netflix stuff is still here. Great. Totally, and um. Being in the theater, I will say, was a really uh, a real trip because I saw it at the uh, at a press screening, which is as you've probably experienced. It's a more subdued audience. I mean, it's still film fans, so they still get excited, but it's not very different. It's not like that. Yeah, it's not like that opening weekend crowd. I intentionally you... skipped a press screening so I could do it opening weekend because I wanted to do it with a crowd, like an an excited yeah. crowd. I didn't want to do it with press people. And uh, uh, Kitra hadn't seen it, so. Yeah, uh, Kitra hadn't seen it, and we were in Sacramento uh, uh, her for her mom's funeral. It was a real emotional weekend. Uh, we uh, we were there, and I was like, you know what? Let's let, let's see this movie. It'll, it'll cheer you up. You'll you'll love it. Um, we booked uh, tickets days in advance when you know tickets were still available. And when we were there, I will say I've been really good about being active and being part of the outside world in the last year and a half, but never catching COVID. Right. Right. Uh, I, I, I go to theme parks every week for, we have a YouTube channel called ordinary adventure. I, I'm in big crowds of people and we mask up. We've been vaccinated. We've been boosted. We've, we uh, uh, try to distance. If we see bad situations, we, take ourselves out of it and we you know get to a place that we, we feel comfortable and there's only been two times since this pandemic started that i felt uncomfortable <laughs> and one of them was in this movie theater because this movie theater was sold out to capacity right right and uh this is like a, a regal cinema like it wasn't like a you know a draft house or amc where you have like the recliners and there's a little bit more room between people and uh i had my mask on kitra had her mask on we wore it for the entire movie but i want to say i would i would i would venture to say at least 75 percent of the people in the theater were not masked they were eating or just right not masked i'm I, i hate to be the debbie downer here because um you know this is a this was a great movie a great movie going experience i'm not trying to t- tell anybody to feel bad about going because i obviously went twice um but i kind of wonder if in a week we're going to see like the the the, the math of it of uh uh when when all the covid cases hit and you could like trace it back to this weekend of you know almost 30 million people in in theaters nationwide uh, sharing the same air. And then on top of that, you know, a few days, you know, a week later, going to gatherings with their families for the for the holidays. So I, I'm, I'm kind of, I know, I, I, I hate to bring things down. 
But what are your what are your thoughts? Like, is this going to be looked back at as a super spreader event? I mean, look, I think when you talk about 30 million people getting together, you know, there's going to be some level. But um, one of the interesting things I had seen as the theater recovery was kind of starting is that, you know, because movie theaters largely installed a lot of these like really expensive filtration systems and things like that, is that there wasn't really a lot of evidence that movie theaters were big spreaders in the same way that like very strangely like airports were big spreaders but airplanes themselves were not uh like so so weird it is so weird but so i so you know i try to be a man of science as much as possible and they're 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 look and i avoided i did not go to a movie theater for about a year and four months and that fucking killed me but then when I finally got to go see Godzilla versus Kong in a movie theater with friends, I cried like openly, you know? So like for me, you know, I was as safe as I could be for, for, you know, and I'm like with you, I haven't had COVID. I've been as safe as I can, but I'm out doing things, you know? And so I don't know, like, um, am I going to like blame Spider-Man No Way Home's box <laughs> office for Omicron spending? Not really, you know, like, like it, it's, it's it's gonna have more to do with people's irresponsibility. I think out irresponsibility outside of those specific situations. Yeah. That would be sort of. I I think it would be slightly unfair to pin it, you know, on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not. No, no, but but your point it. is not invalid in that. Like, yes, it's 30 million people across the country gathering in indoor com- confined spaces. Like, sure, there's gonna be some spread involved, but like. At this but it's point. also been so interesting because I've been so good about this so far, Ryan. Like, I've been so good at, like, if there was, like, a big crowd, we just, like, got out of the situation. But, you know, we got to the theater and we sat down and it filled up and we felt uncomfortable before the movie started. And we had already bought the tickets and we were already there. And it was something we really wanted to see. Like, And it was so – it went – it happened so fast that like I made the exception. Right. <laughs> so, so I don't know. I, I think that in a, from a personal standpoint, it, it's interesting because it was the first time that I kind of feel like I let my guard down. I, so. I think for me, what happened at a certain point, and I don't mean to take this in a different direction, but, yeah, like, yeah. but, but I think at a certain point, like, so I got extremely frustrated during COVID with everyone's like the, the irresponsibility on a certain chunk of the population and so especially at this point when we're looking at like this is going to be an endemic not a pandemic we're going to just be living with this on some level look i'm vaxxed i'm boosted i mask up when and where it is responsible to do so but at a certain point i think i just decided like okay like i'm being as responsible as i can and i can't control a certain number of tens of millions of people that aren't going to be responsible i need to live my life on some level and so Yes, if I go to a movie theater and I'm backed up and it happens to be crowded, but it's a fun experience, I can accept that small level of risk on my end, you know? And so for me, that's just kind of where I'm at with some of this stuff. So sure, maybe I'll let my guard down and be a little irresponsible in moments, but I'm being mostly as responsible as I can be. So, you know, it's uh, that's sort of my view on it. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I'll say on this note is, um, you know, be your safety is your personal choice uh other people's safety is also a responsibility you have um but 
I would say that if if you have gone to the theater and you're planning on going to a holiday gathering, may, maybe take a rapid test. Totally. Before, yeah, uh, I think that's probably a, a good thing to do. Um, oh, we'll get back to Spider Man in a little bit, but I wanted. Uh, I guess. I guess we should talk about w- w- the rest of the movies at the box office this weekend. Yeah, that's a huge point I'd like to sort of discuss because it's not something I've seen talked about a lot, uh, the way that I sort of talked about it. Um, um, do you have any thoughts on that, Peter, before I kind of dig into the numbers? No, you d- dig into the numbers and then we'll talk about it. Okay, well, so, like, you know, um, the other big release this weekend was Nightmare Alley. Uh, Guillermo del Toro coming off of his Best Picture Oscar winner, Shape of Water, which made $200 million worldwide, you know, very successful movie, uh, opened to $2.9 million in over 2,100 theaters. Uh, good enough for fifth place. Um, wow. uh, and then last week's big, big uh, quote-unquote winner, West Side Story, uh, which, which was a disastrous $10 million opening for a $100 million movie, uh, dipped 67.7% to $3.4 million. Uh, good enough for the three spot for the weekend. Um, Disney's Encanto uh, was number two with six point five million. Uh, it is approaching two hundred million worldwide. Um, House of Gucci made one point eight. Good for the number six spot. That's over a hundred million worldwide. But more or less, the big takeaway here is that there was no room for anything if you didn't have Spider Man in the title of your movie. <sighs> that that's disappointing yeah so the number the number breakdown is the other nine movies in the top 10 made just over 21 million dollars combined uh just to illustrate how obscene uh the the gap was there so the other nine movies combined made less than 10 percent of what spider-man no way home made domestically how does nightmare alley compare against like shape of water Actually, I'm looking at it right now. It's that's fast. That's a fascinating question that again opens up a whole other conversation about the way movies get released right now. Yeah, because Shape of Water was released in a limited release, the w- way you normally do it with um, an award contender. It's what you, you would call a platform release, where it gets released in a small number of theaters, and that number of theaters slowly grows as the weeks roll on, as the buzz rolls on, as the money comes in, um, and then you eventually get to a wide release through what is called a platform release. That doesn't happen that much anymore. So Shape of Water in its third week of release reached 3.6 million. Yep. Um, And that was when it was in 158 theaters. Yep. How many theaters was? 2,145. (laughs) That's sad. It is. That's uh, really sad. It is. Well, look, and here's the thing. Like, it was released by Searchlight Pictures, which is owned by Disney now. Um, I am aware that Disney did not distribute Spider-Man No Way Home, but they were, Marvel Studios was a producing partner on it with Sony distributing. They knew better. Yeah. Yeah. They they shouldn't Uh, have, if they were going to do it, do it limited release just to get your award season qualifying release and then roll it out in January widely when you have a lot less coming out or you do it a couple of weeks ago. Um, I don't know why they set it up to fail so badly. Am I certain that Nightmare Alley was going to be a hit outside of that? No, but at least give it a chance to succeed. Okay, I guess this brings about the question, does the the new Hollywood landscape, does this only leave room for big blockbusters on the big screen? 
No, I just think you have to go about the way that you you have to be very smart and deliberate about the way you're releasing things, and I think it's upsetting the way that Disney has set up a lot of these 20th century movies to fail. Now, yeah. now I now I talked about this a lot last week. West Side Story was never a great bet at a hundred million dollars, you know, like it, it. But Nightmare Alley at sixty million, you know, even let's say it opened to eight or nine, you could leg that out through award season, you know, or or you platform release it and you leg it out up to award season. There's a version of that that gets to a number that's respectable, you know. But look, at the same token. I don't know if Nightmare Alley, like, even when that was announced, I don't know that I thought, like, this is going to make a lot of money. And and to be fair, I'm no marketing expert. I was going to go see that movie no matter what because I love Del Toro and I yeah. love... Uh, the marketing did nothing for me. I was... Uh, even with that cast, I was like, these trailers did nothing for me. You know, like, where I was like, I'm going to go see this movie anyway. So I'm saying that as someone who's knee-deep in this stuff all the time. I don't know how other people felt. You know, but, like, so that's my takeaway there, but... I mean, it seems weird for me to say I feel bad for Steven Spielberg because, you know, <laughs> he's the greatest director of all time is, you know, had yeah. some of the top movies of all time. But I feel bad for Steven Spielberg. And I think even if you're Steven Spielberg, who has had he has the resume that he has. And even when you have a movie like West Side Story, which gets the critical acclaim as the audience ratings that like you know people the people that saw it liked it for yeah, the totally. most part um i think even though you have that if i was steven spielberg this would hurt a lot oh he's i i he's licking some wounds right now there's no question um i, I mean it, you can't especially as like and him, him and like del toro guys that are like ardent defenders of the theatrical experience on the one hand they 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 you can't shun your nose at the idea that a movie was able to open to 260 million dollars we didn't think that was possible anymore but yeah but at the same token you've definitely got to be like if you're del toro you got to be bummed at the way disney handled this yeah i, I mean on one hand both of them uh have created good art that people love right like uh these are not uh artistic failures right um, but financially, they, they are big financial failures. And it, it leads me to wonder, do you think someone the caliber of Steven Spielberg, or not someone the caliber, do you think Steven Spielberg would ever direct a Marvel movie just to, just to show what a Steven Spielberg Marvel movie would be and just to, like, you know, knock every, like, you know, would that movie be, like, the number one movie opening of all the, you know, like, I feel like, there might be something to prove there, but I also thought there was something to prove with him coming back for Indiana Jones four and that's not happening. <laughs> well, again, we talked about this a little bit last week. I think if you ask, if you can give Spielberg another 10 years of life, he would say yes. If you gave him another guaranteed, like I have another decade of filmmaking that does not count against my time on this earth. Absolutely. Yeah. He does it. I think, he walked away from Indiana Jones five because he goes, I'm going to do exactly what I want to do because I have no, why would I, what, what, what left, what do I have left to prove? I'm Steven fucking Spielberg. <laughs> like I, you know, like, yeah. uh, I mean, he weirdly does have that DC comics, Blackhawks movie in development, but like, that's not really like, you know? Yeah. I think that's where he would, if you really want to know, like where I think he would have something to prove, he just, he goes over to DC and makes a DC movie, make a bunch of money. That's where he that's where he could prove he's Spielberg, you know. 
Is it really a trick if you get Spielberg? Spielberg Superman. Right. Like, is it like I hate to say this? Is it really a trick if Spielberg directs a Marvel movie and it makes a bunch of money? No. That's like that's like Mm -hmm. of course it would of course it would make a ton of money. Like I think like you put Spielberg in the DC universe, you know that, and he turns out like a billion dollar hit with DC. That would be the way for him to really show his show his clout. But I don't think he's gonna do it. I think he's just gonna do he's just gonna do whatever the hell he wants to do. Uh, Del Toro, on the other hand, I think could easily be swayed. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. Like I mean, he he desperately wanted to make Justice League dark, you know. So, I mean, we've already seen a Del Toro Blade movie, but maybe bring him back yeah. for the yeah. new Blade. I yeah, <laughs> and he had, and he was he was attached to a Doctor Strange movie at one point, or had like loosely pitched one. Oh, was he really? Or or it was like a loose like conversation. It was one of those things that didn't really ever get very far, but. Um, yeah, like some version of it back in the day. Um, yeah, but you know, uh, Spielberg, just a different place in his career, I think. So, so one thing I did talk about a little bit in a write up you can read on Slash Film right now is that if you look at like one of what, ha- what has changed in the last like six years, when Star Wars The Force Awakens opened to $248 million in 2015, you look at the counter programming. Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Road Chip, also opened that weekend, and the Amy Poehler uh, comedy Sisters opened that weekend. Uh, Both of those movies made around $14 million behind The Force Awakens. So you can counter-program in a way, or at least you could back then, counter-program in a way that still made sense. The Hunger Games Mockingjay in its fifth weekend made another $5 million. Creed in its fourth fourth weekend made another $5 million. You know, so there was still room for these other movies back then. The difference to me is that moviegoers aren't just going to the movies because it's a weekend activity anymore. They're being extremely discerning about what they're spending their money on and what they're spending their time on. That was only Spider-Man this weekend. You know, it wasn't everything else. Nothing else got bleed over as a result. So that to me signals how much things have changed in the past handful of years. Okay, to wrap this up, let's circle back to Spider-Man and previous uh episodes of this podcast we talked a little bit about how amy pascal has talked about how she envisions a new spider-man trilogy starring tom holland you know uh in a an agreement with disney tom rothman who runs sony was asked about that and he was like no there's only one there's only one uh tom holland spider-man movie uh with disney left on the contract and maybe he's being um specific about that maybe amy pascal it's like you know in that's her grand in like her plan with feige to do like three more movies and it's not yet like contractually obligated it's not down on on the page but now i'm wondering after this weekend and after how big of a movie this has become does this push the leverage in either direction do you think do you think now like rothman's like oh i don't need Disney or do you think maybe he's like oh this has become a big thing we this is a great business relationship we need to make we need to do more of these with Disney um all right so I'm going to start off by saying I think both sides of the table want to at least keep that relationship open um barring something crazy I think they will try to keep that relationship open on some level um that's the simple answer however long that contract (laughs) extends who knows uh but now can we dive into uh ryan scott conspiracy land go for it okay so 
Uh, there is a piece I wrote about this in Slash Film a little bit ago, but when we were still speculating about what No Way Home was going to be, um, everyone sort of thought, like, you know, Andrew and Toby are going to be in it, you know, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And, and they're like, it's going to be a big Sinister Six movie. And I'm like, it wasn't. And uh, so on one level, I was right. Because my big thing is, all right. It was a, it was a Sinister Five movie. Sinister Five-ish movie, depending on how you want to count it. <laughs> Yeah. But uh but um so my big thing is uh all right, you're Sony. You released Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse a handful of years ago and proved that audiences will accept the idea of a multiverse in a movie. Um you control the Spider-Man franchise, you control the Sam Raimi version of it, the Amazing Spider-Man version of it, and this current version of it. Uh you now have gotten your secret out of the way. You now know that all these universes are connected. So why on earth would you not do a live-action Spider-Verse movie with Toby and Andrew on the poster with Tom Holland that you could make God knows how much money doing? Because that door is open now. You can bring them back for what you call Spider-Man just colon Spider-Verse or whatever. And it is a live-action Spider-Verse movie that is probably a Sinister Six movie or something like that where they team up to fight a bigger threat and they're and you know they're in the movie and you get to put them on the poster and that's your that's your that's Sony's end game. That's where Sony can actually have an Avengers end game. Yeah, so but that, I don't think that I don't think that's the next movie. I think you need to build up to that. No, no, like I don't think that's the, the next game. movie, but what I'm saying is that's happening. Like there's in my mind there's no way they're not doing that. Like that's going to happen. Now, however, if it takes one or two movies to get there, but there, you, I mean, I, I just can't imagine that. Look, I'm just a guy that writes about this stuff. Like, you know, if, but like from a business perspective, if you have, if you have, if you can get the guys to sign on the dotted line, tell me no, stu tell me the studio doesn't want to do that. Yeah, I, I, of course they will. Well, here, here's the thing though. I, I, I think after seeing this movie the first time, I was like, oh, this is, such a nice swan song for Andrew Garfield's character. He didn't really get to conclude his trilogy. He actually has, you know, a really good moment here. And he, he uh, I, I think, proves himself in the Spider-Verse with this movie. Like, um, the second movie, yeah, it's bad. The first the, the first Amazing Spider-Man I just rewatched recently. And it's actually a lot better than I remember it being. Um so I was like, oh, yeah, this and, and you get kind of get like a, a sweet prologue with Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man. And I was like, oh, th th that's cool as a, you know, this is like a bookend to, to those Spider-Man trilogies. And then when I saw the movie a second time, I was like, what is like, you know, when, when uh, Tobey Maguire is Peter Parker, Peter three. Peter two, I forget who the, which one it is. I forget which ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when he's talking about his being with MJ, his MJ, and how uh, they're making it work, and you, you kind of get like there's something going on there. I'm like, what is that? What is his right Spider-Man universe look like? And would Toby come back for another movie? Yes. And then I'm like, wait, would what is Andrew Garfield? You know, like uh, talked about the vengeance after yeah, like the, yeah. the, the, you know, losing his MJ, his um, 
uh, Gwen Stacy. They were deliberately planting seeds. Like if you, if the third act of that movie is literally like the stuff you're talking about is them going, Hey, here's some interesting stuff we want you to think about. Yeah. But my, my, my question is like, it seemed like Sony was so hell bent on building their own spider verse of movies. So they didn't need Disney. They were going to do their Morbius. They were going to do, um, there was a bunch of other movies announced, right? Right. Uh, Ven- uh, of course, Venom. Uh, and I think everybody kind of like laughed at them because they're like, what's the Spider-Verse without Spider-Man? And well. then it seemed and then it seemed like, Tom- <laughs> yeah, but then it seemed like Tom Holland was going to get pulled into that multiverse and Disney was going to get pushed out of the party, right? And nobody seemed to want that. I'm kind of wondering if setting up these two characters is a way for Disney to keep on working in the Tom Holland MCU Spider-Verse. And Sony to be able to do the other two. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Because like Andrew you, Garfield goes up against Venom. Right. And someone pitched pitched that on Twitter, and that. But yeah. the idea of like the idea of like okay, you could theoretically do an Amazing Spider-Man three of some sort, and you could theoretically do like Old Man Peter for 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 you know uh, Toby's Spider-Man. You could do like you know essentially the Logan version of that. If yeah. you wanted, and and then we talked about building to that idea of a live action Spider Verse movie. Well, you kind of do that through those movies that well, Sony. I, I, I think you do those two movies, and then you do a live action Miles Morales movie, and right. then right. No, but what then, I'm saying is you, th- that's laying the table for for what I sort of talked about being their their sort of end play. And I yeah. think there's no question. Like Andrew Garfield looked like he was having an absolute blast. So did Toby. Like, yeah. I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind, like, if it's all, because those guys having had the experiences they had, like, it's literally just about who's creatively involved. You know, like, because yeah. I think, like, Andrew, he would probably never speak a bad word about Mark Webb or the studio, but I think he's probably got a lot of misgivings about how a lot of that was handled. <laughs> You well, know, he, he did he did kind of speak some a little ill, but I'm saying not like he's not going to go name names yeah. and be you know. And I think I think Toby's only thing was like, look, he wanted to do it with Sam. The studio didn't want to give him the time. He only left the role because the studio moved on. He would have happily kept doing it. So I think the fact that he got to take some time away and he can be back now, why wouldn't he do it? So I just think I think the well, door's open maybe for a lot. He gets- Maybe you could get Sam Raimi back in there. I mean, he's yeah, back get, in the Marvel fold. Yeah, I have my feelings about because, like Sam, for those that may not know, Sam Raimi, who directed the original Spider-Man trilogy, is directing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, there's even some reports going around right now that the reshoots had to do with adding a lot of cameos to that movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Speculate as you will as to who that might mean, uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, yeah, you could easily. Uh, but could you imagine, like, film Twitter, as it were, if, like, a week from now we hear Spider-Man 4 in development with Tobey Maguire and Sam Raimi? Like, the, the, that would be insane. The level, insane. the level that people would lose their shit, you know? And, like, there's that certain corner of the internet that really wants to go to bat for, you know, Andrew's, you know, Spidey, and you hear some version of The Amazing Spider-Man 3 is in development with... I don't know, pick your director, but you know, like that's, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. I don't know. 
dude. I, I would, I would, I would love that. I, I, I actually hope that this is maybe what's going on, but from a um, business perspective, it's literally, can you get people to sign on the dotted line? That's all it is at this point. Okay, we, we've gone way over our time limit for today. Uh, you can find Ryan's articles on the box office, and also he does a lot of news reporting on SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friend. <laughs> tell your friends. Spread the word. Yeah, you have more than one friend. So tell your friends. And we'll see you tomorrow. Cool.